From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now a moment of silence before this episode begins. Now, when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies alongside the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali along the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who lived in the dark have seen a great light, and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. There are a number of threads in this passage that we could go down together today. And I sometimes prefer to zoom right by the stuff that makes me uncomfy. Like it's in Matthew 8.23 where we get the beloved story of Jesus calming the storm. But it's in Matthew 8.22 that Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. And nine times out of ten, I'm going to drive right by that and talk about Jesus calming the storm. (laughs) But sometimes I think it's worth hovering on the tension point to see what it reveals. And we actually give something more power when we ignore it. So let's talk about people fishing, because that really makes me cringe at first glance. Maybe some of you, like me, were taught that fishing for people was a metaphor for evangelism sharing your faith, converting others to your faith. In particular, the brand that can sometimes feel transactional or impersonal. First, there's the bait. Trick them with good food, right? The lure. And if that's not working, a fisher might pound the lure. This is the guy with the Bible and the bullhorn. Or if that's not working, a fisher might try something called a jig. You ever heard of a Jesus juke? Same, same. Then eventually you hook the fish, and there's a number of different kinds of hooks. There's a spin hook. Maybe some of you know the Roman's road approach. A fang hook. I think that's the four spiritual laws. There's a fly hook. This is when you draw a picture of a chasm and ask someone, how are they going to get across? Can they fly? And then there's a double hook. I think that's when you convert a married couple. And if any of those references blew by you, praise be, you're one of the lucky ones. Then once a fish strikes, you reel them in. You get to use all the things you brought in your tackle box. I even learned this week that trolling is a fishing term. That's when you drag a bait through the moving water. 
It's also when you tell someone they're going to hell on Twitter. Justin told me they used to leave gospel tracts on urinals. That's pre-internet trolling. And I know, in Jesus' day, I know, it wouldn't have been line fishing. It was net fishing. Maybe that's a gentler image. Well, you know what happens to a fish either way you catch them. They die because they can't breathe. Like, this is a horrible analogy. It makes me uncomfortable. Gandhi talked about the evangelism of a rose. In reaction to the missionary strategies of Christians in his country, he reminded them that a rose does not have to preach. It spreads its fragrance, allowing people to respond as they will. I much prefer that metaphor. But here I am, preaching. Maybe, maybe you know how it feels when Christians try to catch you. Or maybe you had a season of door knocking and diagram drawing yourself. Maybe, like me, you're wondering if there's something more that Jesus might be saying here. After all, this is Matthew's account of the beginning of discipleship, the beginning of the church. I would like to feel less weird about it. It seems important. Matthew provides us no biographical details other than the men's occupation. From his account, you don't even get a sense that Jesus was looking for Peter, Andrew, James, or John in particular. As he walked along, he saw them. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers. One commentator says this suggests to us that Matthew is providing a theological perspective on the way every follower becomes a disciple. This isn't a special call to apostleship. Jesus just sees us. That's the invitation to all of us still. Maybe we're making the metaphor work too hard. Pastor Debbie Thomas reminded me that Jesus calls to us in the language we speak, Maybe Jesus would have gone to farmers and invited them to plant seeds of love. Come software developers and develop people. Come mechanics and fix creaky souls. Come realtors and sell belonging. Come lawyers, argue compassion. Come teachers, teach kindness. Come dentists and heal cavities of the heart. I got more. <laughs> I wonder what Jesus' call to you would be. I wonder how Jesus would lift your gaze from your daily duties to meet the eyes of those around you. I wonder how Jesus might communicate to you that the invitation to discipleship is first and foremost a call to relationship. Now, he probably would use the language of your work to get our attention. What else do we talk about more? He would use the language of your work to lift your eyes off your work to focus on people. People. We know people matter. We profess that people matter. It's in every slogan and mission statement. People matter most. But for many of us, if we're honest, the net's not holding, is it? I wonder if the reason we fear others are just temporarily using us for their own enjoyment, only to be discarded or thrown back eventually, is because that's how we treat people, too. A man is part of a church community, really involved, leads groups, serves, he's involved, he knows everybody, got lots of people he does life with. And then he goes through some personal upheaval and he stops leading, scales back from serving, eventually stops showing up at church altogether. A year later, he reaches out to the pastor to get together. No one came looking for me. He says, 
I've heard that story, a version of that story, at every church I've been a part of, and I just heard it here this week. Has it always been this easy to disappear? Do you ever wonder if you went quiet? Do you ever wonder if anyone would come looking for you? Not from this place necessarily, from anywhere. I have to be honest, I have to confess, thinking about this this week, that I'm really far from living a life with the capacity, concern, or curiosity to notice who's missing. I can barely keep up with what's there. I'm part of what they're calling the loneliest generation. Proof, if you were looking for it, that it's gotten worse, that it wasn't always this way, that something about our modern life, particularly among the urban, educated, upper and middle class, something at the center of our wealth, transience, workaholism, anxiety, avatars, has convinced us we can live disentangled and belong only to ourselves. So we float in and out of each other's lives when it's convenient, let the algorithm sort us and connect when we're free. We trust each other with little and ask each other for less, all the while demanding everything from the people inside our four walls. We float farther out. And we know it's not right. We don't have any favorite characters who weren't changed by other characters. We write song after song about love, but we're scared of fracture and exhausted by repair, so we ghost what we can't laugh at. We float farther out and wonder what's wrong with us. You aren't a machine with broken parts, says writer Johan Hari. You are an animal whose needs are not being met. You were made for community. And just when I worry we're too far gone, Jesus walks by. And he sees Peter, Andrew, John, you, me on our islands and says, come, Follow me, we're casting the nets, we're gathering everyone up. That's what this life is about. You'll always find me in between you. This is why we were born, says the great mystic Howard Thurman. People, all people, belong to each other. And he who shuts himself away diminishes himself. And he who shuts another away from him destroys himself. So come, Jesus says to the first disciples. In the next few chapters, we'll get too close to people no one touches and to the ones they call crazy. We'll learn about faith from a man who can't get up. We'll cozy up with know-it-alls and we'll stop everything for a desperate parent. Twice. I'll lead you into lots of crowds. We'll turn around for someone you've been taught is a rival. You'll be shocked by the kindness of the ones you call wicked. They're not slowing down our work. They are our work. Oh, and you'll do it together. We'll be caught up in storms and miracles both. We'll receive horrible news. You'll do things you never dreamed. You're gonna need a team. You'll argue and jockey for status and we'll be betrayed by someone we'll keep on inviting to join us at supper, but you're the ones who will remind each other what I look like when I'm gone. This is an ensemble story, says Jesus. You can't follow me in private. Would that we could. I mean, if God is so convinced that relationships are the path to transformation, then this God must not be concerned with our transformation happening quickly, efficiently, or without people getting their feelings hurt. And that's unfortunate, because those are like my top three values. We might wonder if you could be a disciple who stayed on the dock and meditated. You might wonder if you could be a disciple without the other 11. Don't fish for people if you don't want to be bothered. Stick with fish. 
except the called will keep calling. Last weekend, our friends Don and Tara came to visit us from Austin. They're my parents' age, and they're some of our best friends. And I don't know how our stories ever would have intersected if not at the local church. We kept bumping into each other Sunday after Sunday in those awkward moments before the singing starts. And I learned later that we hadn't been bumping into each other. Don and Tara actually make it a point to get there 15 minutes early and connect with anybody who might be wandering in new or alone. And around that time, we were buying our first house, and Don's a carpenter, so he offered to come look at houses with us, give us his opinion. And when we bought a house, then he helped my husband build a back porch. When we had our first baby far away from family, they brought us food. They babysat. They just kept showing up. And through round after round of their favorite card game, Hand and Foot, we learned about each other. In more than anyone I know, Don and Tara have lived an ensemble story. As they recount various chapters of their lives, the most random people keep showing up, and they don't stay in the periphery. They, they become main characters. They just keep like moving in with them. A husband banished from his family for a series of bad decisions. He lived with them for a season. A poor college student whose apartment plans fell through. A woman whose parents couldn't accept her queer identity. When Don and Tara were just with us, I asked about their holiday. How was Christmas? Was it just you guys? They're like, yeah, and a woman from church who had nowhere to go. It's never just them. Don and Tara don't live a just them life. So as we put them on the plane and my husband and I drove home, we spent the next few hours, as we always do after time with them, asking horribly uncomfortable questions about how we might order our lives to be more like them because the joy they possess rounding the corner of an ensemble story is that radiant. The fragrance is that compelling. And I'm so grateful to have been caught up in their net. I think all those fishers of men ministries and street corner evangelists are on to something. This is a matter of life and death. Our salvation depends on each other, not by spreading a belief system, but because we are transformed by love. We were created for each other, and so our flourishing depends on our entering the risky, fragile, precious, peculiar, unpredictable space between us again and again and again. This is where Jesus always leads, no matter what it was we were working on. It's only about people. Here at the beginning of the story, and at the end, ask any hospice worker what people talk about in their final days. People. It's all that ever mattered. Don't be fooled. I think we forgot this somewhere when we packed up our things and moved into our heads. We may have to look to our grandparents, to rural America, to people groups with their backs against the wall who can't pretend they don't need each other and become students of a community in a culture that suggests we just fish for fish. I think if the church became a place that didn't settle for connection or networking but fought for thick relationships, those that outlasted the passing seasons of our lives, that outlasted even our participation in this church, those that survived fracture and fought for repair, if this were a place where it was impossible to swim alone, if we all got caught up and tangled in each other's nets and kids and problems and house projects and family drama, if we went looking for those who went quiet, 
so they didn't have to drift alone. If we stayed in each other's lives through the storms and the miracles both, I think the church would be irresistible. I think we'd win souls to heaven, maybe, but to life, primarily. This week, when people seem to be in our way, may this be a signal that we have lost our way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.